0: We're told Vesper is a noun from the late 14th century, meaning evening star, from Old French evening, nightfall, modern French vepre, from Latin vesper, or as we learned in grade school, vesper, evening star, evening west, related to Greek hesperos, and source also Russian tsicher. When plural, Vespers is the sixth canonical hour, attested from 1610 or so, from plural of Latin evening. That from etymology.com. Within the word Vesper itself, then, light and dark are bound, evening, star. The darkness of the evening, the light of the ever-radiating star. And so it should be no surprise to discover that at the heart of the Vespers' service of evening prayer would be this hymn, "O gladsome light. And as he immersed himself in the setting of the Vespers in a new and fresh way, composer Benedict Sheehan discovered, in a direct way, the power and pivotal nature of what is one of the earliest known Christian hymns in common use. Realizing that, oh, gladsome light was also the heart of Vespers, light was also the heart of Vespers, something I think I had sensed intuitively from long years in church. I saw that light, and in particular, light from darkness, was somehow the theme of Vespers as a whole. Sheehan continues, Vespers is significantly the beginning of the liturgical day in Orthodoxy, not the end of it. Just as the world emerged, or rather, say, the particle physicists whom I've been reading about lately continually emerges out of darkness, of non-being, so the Christian liturgical day begins each evening with the setting of the sun. At the risk of waxing philosophical, I observe here that what might seem at first glance to be an accident of liturgical scheduling becomes upon closer inspection, a powerful existential symbol, one that sends out threads of connection deep into the realms of cosmology, biology, quantum mechanics, and human psychology. Almost on a daily basis, I ask myself, where does this infinite universe and all its matter come from? Where do I come from? And why do I exist at all? Where do my thoughts come from, and why are they so often irrational? Underneath such questions, at least for me, lies a veritable ocean of darkness, and my own tiny lights almost always seem comically incapable of illuminating any of it. Yet at the same time, within these unsettled depths, there also seems to me to be something, or perhaps someone, a presence, a mind, a voice that says gently, but with tireless insistence, let there be light. And behold, for no apparent reason, there is light, there is meaning, there is form, there is personhood, there is consciousness, and not only is it, but it is good. So perhaps this is the message of Vespers, this setting of the ancient evening office that begins each new day. From the descent into darkness comes a mysterious and gladsome light. This has certainly been my own experience over this past year and a half when COVID has reigned with all its unresolvable complexities and knotty, irregular rhythms. That through it all, something new and bright and good might yet be created i pray that my peace whatever its flaws and inconsistencies will bring some light to you as well words of benedict sheehan august 20th 2021 in the album notes for this recording of vespers featuring the saint ticon choir Benedict Sheehan is a Grammy-nominated conductor and composer. He has been called a rising star in the choral world. We just spoke about evening stars. He's a rising star in the choral world. He is artistic director and founder of the St. Ticon Choir and the newly created Artifact Ensemble, as well as director of music at St. Ticon's Monastery and Seminary here in Northeastern Pennsylvania. He recently released The Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom on which he conducts the St. Ticon Choir and that recording has been garnering critical acclaim as simply beyond praise for excellence. Benedict's work as a chorus master on the 2020 Noxos release of Kostalski's Requiem for Fallen Brothers earned him a 2021 Grammy nomination. And his work, Vesper's, has been recorded by Capella on the Capella Records label, and it will have its first full performance in public this weekend. And that will be first in New York City, then in Wilkes-Barre, and then in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Benedict Sheehan and Lydia Given, General Manager of the St. Ticon Choir, paid a visit to the WVIA studios to talk with us about the Vespers before these upcoming concerts and how it all came together
1: for the last 12 years I've lived and worked at St. Deacon's, which is a monastery and a and, and, and a school of theology it's the oldest orthodox monastery in North America it was founded in 1905 but it's been around for some time and one of the things you have at a monastery is you have if you is you have a church service every single day usually two times a day i would say always two times a day and uh, so there's this there's this sense of like it's it's a place where there has been continuous worship for the last 117 years. So there's this, like the sense of like the songs have just soaked into the earth and soaked into the walls of the church. And so it just it's kind of a thing that happens all the time. So I I took the job there in 20 in 2010 as the music director of St. Ticon's and just kind of entered into that stream of, of song and liturgy, and just have tried to do what I can to build it up, to expand it, to bring more people in, and to bring that kind of sound a little bit more out into the world. Because as old as it is, and as long as it's been there, it's still kind of a the best-kept secret in Pennsylvania you know it's it's tucked away in a little corner of the Poconos in farmland and uh, so I've tried to do I have tried to use the music of the church and that kind of musical singing atmosphere to create pieces of music and create experiences create performances and recordings that bring something of that spirit out but also help help it to expand and evolve and make make a place for more people.
0: Lydia, you said to me as we were preparing to sit down at the microphones that you on the West Coast in Los Angeles, not knowing Benedict in any way, came across one of his settings of the Beatitudes. Tell us that story.
2: So my father is a Russian Orthodox priest in Los Angeles. And I started choir directing when I was 14. Benedict shares that young (laughs) choir directing experience with me. And as I built my own music program with my small choir. I was constantly looking for things that were set in English. And what we found a lot is that because we're a country of immigrants, the music here for the Orthodox Church wasn't set for the English language. It was set for other languages and then kind of fit to English text. And I discovered Benedict's Beatitudes. It was a piece that doesn't get a lot of play, but it was musically so interesting to me and the way that the music highlighted the text was so exciting to me. It was something that I hadn't seen before, that kind of thoughtfulness put into the text and you could see it through both the rhythm and the way that it flowed and also just the chord structure and I fell in love. (laughs) And so I was a fan of Benedict's long before I knew who he was, I was a fangirl. I think one of the things that I really like about that piece and then that I've continued to appreciate about the music that Benedict writes in the Orthodox setting, particularly is that he uses melodies that I'm familiar with, that I've used or grown up with or seen fit poorly to text, and then expands them. And it makes it feel to me like it's something that is uniquely American. It it has, the chord structure has elements of folk music that you hear and you know it it has a reference point that's uniquely American even though it's building on those traditions that we have been long established in other countries
0: and Benedict weren't you commissioned to create a setting of the big St. John Chrysostom yeah so that singers and worshipers in the states could have a chance to sing that in a fulfilling way
1: yeah yeah yes in 2015 Fifteen, I, I got a commission to compose a liturgy of Saint John Chrysostom, which is the basically the normal Sunday Mass in the, in the in the Eastern Orthodox Church, and so I wrote that and we recorded that in 2018, and the recording came out in 2019, I think. And yeah, so, so the goal was in a sense to write an American liturgy, but uh, but still one that builds on the tradition and the the kind of sound world of the past but it's a new sound world and the goal was that it would be that it would feel uniquely at home with who we are and where we are today
2: with the liturgy that was actually when i started working with the saint ticon choir was when it was released in i think it was october of 2019 and so i had this opportunity to hear it and to really dive into what was behind it and I always had this kind of feeling that there was intentionality behind his composition, but with the liturgy, I could confirm it because I could ask him, right? So (laughs) I (laughs) I would say, well, what were you thinking here? And there are things in there, there's this part of it where it's actually kind of the climax of the liturgy. And it was so striking to me because it's almost a throwaway part of the liturgy musically for the most part toward the end. And it doesn't get a lot of pomp and circumstance. It's this part where the words are, one is holy, one is Lord. And what's happening is there's this whole piece in the altar where it's the sacrificing of the lamb. And Benedict wrote this really high soprano line. And it kind of mimics like a liturgical scream. It gives (laughs) that impression. That's a good (laughs) good way to describe it. And that really struck me. That exact idea where it's something that I had I had never given that thought to it. I just never thought about it that much. But it made me see it in a whole new way.
1: And like a tradition to be a to be a true tradition, it has to evolve, it has to grow, it has to change. You know, and every every new generation has to make their mark in some way for it to be what it is. Yeah. So I I did emphasize certain details and certain texts that may not have received emphasis in music in music of the past
0: we've talked to you in the past about your respect and love of rachmaninoff and mm. tchaikovsky and the great russian composers we know of rachmaninoff's great instrumental works piano concertos symphonies but as well known as they are perhaps the rachmaninoff vespers where does the vesper service Figure in the Orthodox liturgical tradition.
1: Well, it's 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 a beautiful kind of more kind of calm and, and 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 kind of an introspective type of service compared, say, to the liturgy. That's the more. It's the Sunday morning. It's more bright. It's more kind of about about a Eucharist and about the actions of the clergy. Vespers is the is the is the evening office, and it's about sunset, and it's about. In some ways a descent into darkness but also the new the new light and the new life that does arise out of that darkness so there's kind of a different energy to Vespers I would say it's it's you know and just in a normal kind of everyday church context you know on a Sunday liturgy you might have your whole community there on a Saturday evening Vespers there might be 20% of your community there so it's this it's just a more kind of calm and meditative experience. And so having, you know, my own background in the Orthodox Church, you know, I, I had memories of what it was like to to go to church as a kid on Saturday evening and there's not as many people there, there's not as many kids there. So you kind of have a, a different set of expectations and so, you know, there's little images of like sunlight, you know, the evening sunlight that comes through the windows and a little bit of incense in the sunbeams, but also with kind of a sense of quietness and a little bit of sadness. Like it's the end of the day and the night is coming, and 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 the prayers are more are more are more introspective, and and there's an there's a kind of note of sadness in them too, but but a sadness that it, that has an expectation of the brightness of of, of the next day and. So I, I, I kind of brought all that, I think, into my music. I tried to.
0: Was it a self-generated, I think I'd like to do this, or did someone ask you to do it?
1: So the the very first I- impetus to write this came from the abbot of, of St. Tekan's Father Sergius, whom I know you've gotten to speak with before. So it might have been like as long ago as 2016, he came to me and said, hey, how about you write a vigil and that was the original thing that he asked me to do but he said like Rachmaninoff and so I was like huh write a vigil you know and other things kind of got in the way I wrote the liturgy instead for somebody else and I've written other things in the meantime but at that time I I started to compose a bit and started to put some ideas together and I worked on it a little bit at a time. And I knew that, in a sense, what, what, what he wanted me to do like Rachmaninoff was to, was to draw on the body of the, ancient, of the ancient Slavic chant and to do arrangements or pieces that were inspired by those. So un- unlike the liturgy, where it's m- mostly all new melodies, I started with a body of existing melodies as kind of my point of departure. So I worked on it a little bit at a time over the course of the last, I guess, about five years from that point and i wrote a few moments that ended up being kind of like a a, a dry run for some of these things and over the course of working on it it became clear to me that i wanted to to just put my energies into the vespers part of the all-night vigil and for those who may not know how these things work in the orthodox liturgy so what's called the all-night vigil is actually a combination of three different services vespers and matins and then one of the hours and the idea being that you would be in church all through the night, and you would go through all the offices, right? But I, I wanted to concentrate on the first part of it, which is the evening office. So that's what I ended up doing, and I felt like I could. So, where in Rachmaninoff's piece, which is also drawing on the body of Slavic chant, he does kind of excerpts from all three of them. I thought I could actually do a little bit more of the actual service and expand on it, and maybe even kind of add some things in that aren't always in there and to create a more complete arc with only the evening office.
0: And so at what point are we now? Are we about to be invited to hear the premiere? You are.
1: are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. As I said, I worked on the piece over the course of about five years, you know, a little bit at a time. But then in the spring of 2020, the world shut down and and I was like, what am I going to do? So I wrote a lot of music. I actually... I actually finished, I think, five major works in that time. So this was among them. And I, you know, I had a lot of, I had a lot of time in my office just sitting there. Right. So it's like, you're a composer and your life as a composer. My life didn't actually change that much. I just got, had more time. Yeah. So, so I got it done in the spring of 2021. And then we made a recording of it in July of 2021. And that recording came out that fall. So unlike the liturgy, you know, the music is out in the world, but we didn't get to do a live performance. So we have never sung the piece in front of an audience, and nobody's ever sung it continuously. So that's also an interesting thing, because when you make a recording, you know, you do a little bit at a time. You might not do it in in the actual order. So nobody knows what it feels like to actually sing this from beginning to end. So that's going to be interesting. So we will do the very first live performances of this.
0: And Lydia, you talked about how you began with the recording of the St. John Chrysostom liturgy, and now you really were right from the ground up on this. What has that experience been like to be privy to a piece coming together like this by someone you admire and respect and work with on a regular basis?
2: It's interesting because there are some commonalities with Vespers in and of itself. So, you know, Vespers, he wrote it during, he finished it during the pandemic, which was a very reflective time for a lot of people. And it had that sadness about it. But Vespers is actually a service of creation. Also, it goes, it's actually the first service of the liturgical day, the evening and the morning were the first day from Genesis. And so my own experience with it has been similar to that I was... I had been with the choir working behind the scenes and doing some of the logistics. And then I got to be involved at the very beginning of this becoming a thing that exists in the world. And I'm so excited to share it with people on this level. Having been so immersed in it, you know, I've also done social media and I've been building this sort of library of content about it. I can't wait to share that experience of hearing it live. I got to sing on this recording and it was the most incredible experience, that first chord that the Saint Ticon Choir sang of, of this and the first time we sang through a piece, it was the first time anyone had ever heard it. And then now we get I get to go from that experience all the way through to being there singing and helping put together this experience for so many more people. To have that moment of being able to hear that live,
1: yeah, and to see the audience responding—it's a—it's an amazing thing. It's a very different thing to sing on a recording. I mean, it's—it's it's ultimately the music is the same and the sound is the same, but it—but it, the way that you feel as a as a as a performer, there's just an energy from the audience that's a different thing. And, it, and so we're just both really excited to actually have have an audience to share this with
0: where will you be you'll be at saint stephen's which you love yeah so well.
1: we, we will be so the one at saint stephen's on november 12th will be the second performance we will give the first performance at the archdiocesan cathedral of the holy trinity in new york city on the 11th so that's on the upper east side it's a greek orthodox cathedral it's a beautiful space so that's going to be our first performance and then we'll give a third performance at First Presbyterian Church in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, at 4 o'clock on Sunday the 13th. So it's going to be great to actually get to do a, a run of three and to really get a feel for it and to just be able to share it with more, with more people in different areas.
0: And we think when we hear church choirs, many people think, oh, I sing with the church choir, I <laughs> sing with the church choir, yeah. and they don't have an understanding of this choir. Right. Right. I mean,
1: So this is not exactly a church choir. It, in some ways, it is.
2: It's interesting because one of the things that I think Benedict wanted to do with the liturgy and the Vespers is to create something like an aesthetic ideal. It's what we aspire to. It's what the church choir aspires to do. It's not necessarily something that you're going to hear on a typical Sunday in a parish. There are pieces of it that you can take from that, but it's special. And it's like when you do Rachmaninoff, right? When you go to a an Orthodox church and you hear a piece of Rachmaninoff, it's profound in that that's not something that anyone could pull off. So we have a lot of professional, well, everybody on it is, you know, at that professional level. We have many people that we bring in for that. And Benedict has always had a commitment with the St. Ticon Choir to have high-level singers from the community. So we have some recent seminarian graduates that are excellent. We have people that are part of the life and work of the monastery that get to sing with the choir. So we have kind of a a diverse group, but it is such an incredibly high-level choir. It's singing music that is truly aspirational.
0: Maria Sheehan, who is your dear singing wife, has told us at this table that there is nothing like the experience when you have that kind of ensemble and you all begin to breathe
1: together.
2: Mm. Your hearts start to beat in rhythm.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's literally true. There's been studies that when an ensemble sings together and they reach a certain level of, of kind of musical integrity and unity, their heart rates actually align. It's so interesting. Yeah, and so there, there is this just, you know, and we, we, we have a wonderful a wonderful ensemble of musicians. These are some of the best singers in the country who they love to sing with us. And they, they come from New York, but they also come from all over. And um, as she says, it's, it's a diverse group. These are people that are, some of them are, are, are like headliner artists at Carnegie Hall. and But they, they, they come together to join our ensemble spend a few a few days with our community and be part of the musical life of the community and just be together as as people you know there there's something there's something amazing about the sound of a chorus that really comes together in a unified way there's nothing like it it's kind of like a, an image of what society could be right if we all were able to kind of see past our disagreements and differences and and even celebrate them and enjoy the uniqueness of everybody around us, but then for a time to just agree that we're going to do the most beautiful and unified thing that we can possibly do. I mean, isn't that an inherently great thing to do? I just, I, I, I can't think of anything better.
0: We know many people when they think of the Russian Orthodox tradition, they think of that deep base voice. Do you use that in this Oh, we
1: sure do. Somewhere. Yeah, if if that's what you think of, then we were we're not gonna disappoint you. Yes, yeah, so we're we're very honored to have Glenn Miller as a regular member of the ensemble, who if you don't know and it's not Glenn Miller the jazz band leader, <laughs> but it's the other Glenn Miller who is arguably the the, the best known and best basso profundo on the planet. Yeah, and, uh, you know, there's really only a few people on Earth who can do what he does, and of them, he's the best. Not not to say anything against some of the others, but Glenn is pretty special. And um, so he's going to be singing, and not only is he going to be singing in the ensemble, but actually composed the whole movement for him. And it's, it's a pretty remarkable thing to hear him sing this. And nobody has ever heard him sing this live, so... It's not, it's not an event to be missed. I, I wrote an F zero, which is basically, it's the, lowest, it's the lowest F on a piano. I wrote that for him as a soloist. And I don't know if it is the lowest note ever written for a solo part, but it might be.
2: It's also part of that bringing things into, creating an American tradition of this kind of music, because that basso profundo uh, aesthetic hasn't really existed here. And certainly not in music that was written in English for for us. And uh, Glenn, he calls it a subwoofer. <laughs> Come and hear his subwoofer. It's it's incredible that piece. It's the Song of Simeon, which is it's a prayer that we read every evening, and it's the culmination of his whole life, of Simeon's life in the in the Bible and his whole story. He'd waited so long for what he got to experience, and then he did, and he was ready to let it go, and that's where that piece comes from.
0: We have this concentrated experience of the Vespers live. Then you go and send it out into the world. What do you do in a case like this? As you said, it's aspirational, but what happens to a piece like this, Benedict?
1: Well, I mean, the score is published. It's published by Oxford, so they want more groups to sing this. I think it will be performed by other ensembles, so that's one of the goals. Is just that it it becomes a piece that it, that becomes part of the choral repertoire. You know, it's not it's not a piece that a church choir necessarily would be able to do in church, but they could do excerpts. Um, but it's certainly a piece that a, a university choir, or a skilled amateur community choir, or or a professional ensemble certainly could perform this. So that's my hope: is that is that it's a piece that just becomes part of part of the music that we that we like to sing a lot
2: and there is an additional arrangement of the song of simeon that can be sung by actual humans that aren't glenn miller
1: that's true yeah and it's not only for the orthodox church you know that particular expression of faith and of christianity is one among many but there there's a beauty in it and a unique just depth and quality and rhythm of ritual that i'd love for everybody to know of out and have some experience of whatever their background or beliefs or lifestyle might be everybody deserves that kind of beauty it's for everybody I mean I genuinely think beautiful choral music can make the world a better place for all I of agree. us
2: my parents raised me with the idea that you look for beauty wherever you are and if you can't find it you create it and there's something to be said for the idea that shared joy is increased and I will say when we got into the room in 2021 in the summer we were all experiencing this pandemic together none of us had been able to sing and when you've been singing in choral ensembles your entire life and all of a sudden that's it felt like my soul had been ripped out and i got into this room of people and we all opened our mouths and had this shared experience and it was us finding that common beauty and that joy and it made it better every every part of that finding looking for something that we shared and that was creating something beautiful it it exponentially is better than it could have been any other way
0: lydia given general manager of the saint ticon choir who took part in this recording of the vespers by benedict sheehan with the saint ticon choir and also a choir director in her own right Benedict Sheehan, two-time Grammy-nominated conductor and composer, artistic director and founder of the St. Ticon Choir, and director of music at St. Ticon's monastery and seminary here in Wayne County. The world premiere performances of the Vespers will be presented this weekend, three times. On Friday, November 11th at 7.30 p.m. at the Cathedral of the Holy Trinity in New York City, East 74th Street the second performance on Saturday, November 12th at 7.30pm at St. Stephen's Episcopal Pro Cathedral 35 South Franklin Street in downtown Wilkes-Barre and then Sunday November 13th at 4 in the afternoon at the First Presbyterian Church in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania on Center Street For more information on the web stticonchoir.org S-A-I-N-T-I-K-H-O-N choir.org. The recording has been released on Capella, C-A-P-P-E-L-L-A, Capella And again, the world premiere performances of Benedict Sheehan's Vespers this weekend, November 11th at 7:30 p.m. at the Holy Trinity Cathedral. East 74th Street in New York City, also on November 12th, Saturday evening at 730 at St. Stephen's Episcopal Pro Cathedral, 35 South Franklin Street in wilkes barre and also on the 13th at four in the afternoon in the Lehigh Valley at the First Presbyterian Church Center Street in Bethlehem. For more information on the web, org.